I get into Whole Foods in 1996. The culture was amazing. You know, we really had an eye back then on just the highest quality day boat fish. We looked at all the ingredients for feed and aquaculture. We were doing a lot that other companies weren't doing. And it really set the tone for where the Whole Foods Market Seafood Department ended up going into the future. This is Fish Tales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. There is no singularly agreed definition of seafood sustainability. However, at its simplest, sustainability means to be able to continue production into the future at a rate that the environment can replenish the system while having limited negative impacts on the environment. Globally, per capita fish consumption has been on the rise since the 1960s, starting at 9.9 kilos to over 20 kilos now, and consumption expected to rise by a further 20% by 2030. Clearly, a priority must be placed on fishing more sustainably if we're going to avoid decline in fish stocks and harm to the marine environment. Responsible aquaculture will also need to be playing a bigger part in meeting future demand. Sustainable seafood is a continuous journey And whilst legislation can be effective in stemming the sustainability tide, the use of commercial motivation is a proven means to deliver long-term sustainability. Dick Jones is an eco-warrior who subscribes to the approach of working to deliver the sustainable seafood through commercial demonstration and success. With a long history of working on both sides of the sustainability fence, in his current role as CEO of innovative aquaculture company Blue Ocean Mariculture, Dick is in a unique position to talk about sustainable seafood in action. I grew up third generation in the seafood industry. Uh, We lived outside of Boston, Massachusetts. My grandfather and father had a stall on the Boston Fish Pier. And so I started my career when other young kids were off going to camp in the summertime. I would go down to the docks and watch the boats unload and really be a nuisance in uh, the side of all of the longshoremen that were unloading the boats for the day. So that started in the mid-70s. There were some days where there would be two million pounds of ocean perch that were landed. And just, I recall as as a kid, the energy and just the, the pace of getting those fish off the boats onto into to wooden barrels that then got pulled by tractors back to processing plants throughout the, the pier and cut that same day. Uh, it just amazed me so much that I think it, it burned that, that memory in, into my mind. My grandfather and father had a uh, commercial brokerage company. So we would take all of the day boat fish that came off of the boats from Halifax, Nova Scotia, south to Montauk, Long Island, and they would bring all that uh, every morning into Boston, Massachusetts. So back in the mid-80s, there was a daily fish auction. And uh, so that set the price for all of the fish that was landed in the northeast of the United States. We brought that fish in, sold it based on that day's auction pricing, and then made a 7% commission on the sale. The Northwest Atlantic Ocean produced what we term ground fish. So haddock, 
cod, pollock, flounder, uh, monkfish. There were also days where there were boats that came in fishing uh, from fishing pelagics, so shark and tuna, mainly on the Grand Banks. One consequence of the Industrial Revolution was to make fishermen much more effective and efficient. Nowhere was this change in situation more stark than in the Western Atlantic, which the bottom trawl fish fleet from Boston came to dominate during the latter part of the 19th century through to the mid-1970s. A real consequence of this industrialization was the decimation of fish stocks, causing much of the once thriving seafood industry simply to vanish. I started full-time in the seafood industry in 86, and I thought that I would be in the fish business forever because why would there not be fish in the ocean? And as it got into the later 80s, early 90s, the catches started to decline. And we just thought the fishermen were having a bad day, that there'll be fish tomorrow. And there was most of the time back then fish tomorrow, but a little less and less every single time the boats came in. It was around 1993 when we said, boy, there's really something happening here. There was no real talk of sustainability, no real understanding out there of how the stocks in the Northwest Atlantic were being uh, managed and what the catches were. So there was little understanding as to what was happening. We just knew it was how tried to diversify. It just didn't work out the way that, that we were hoping. So my family's business closed in 1995 and didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't go to college, was a little bit lost. I got a call from one of my customers who said that he had just signed a deal to become the first seafood distributorship that would be owned by a supermarket in the United States. And we thought uh, there was some value to that. We didn't really know what my role was going to be, but the supermarket really wanted there to be more uh, leadership within the company. And so I was hired on as second in command. The supermarket was called Bread and Circus. And four months later, uh, we were purchased by Whole Foods Market. So I get into Whole Foods in 1996 as a truck driver and worked my way through the company. It was really a great place to work. The culture was amazing. They empowered their employees and held them accountable to the performance that um, they expected. And you know, we really had an eye back then on just the highest quality day boat fish. Uh, we rejected a lot of product. We looked at all the ingredients for feed and aquaculture. We were doing a lot that other companies weren't doing. And it really set the tone for where the Whole Foods Market seafood department ended up going into the future. It is common these days for supermarkets to make claims about seafood sustainability, mostly based on mitigating the concept of third-party certifiers. Back in the 1970s, this wasn't the case. At Whole Foods, the now iconic US supermarket chain, the seafood department 
implemented a sustainability rating system for both wild-caught and farmed seafood, which was developed in-house, becoming the logical first adopter for the famous MSC certification program. I think the biggest highlight for me at Whole Foods was the launch of the Marine Stewardship Council program. We were the first supermarket in the United States to sell MSC certified product. I remember it well. I handed a Western Australian rock lobster tail across the seafood counter to the very first customer that bought a fish with the, what at the time was the Fish Forever blue tick logo for the MSC. It was really exciting. Uh, We certainly knew that we were doing something different and special. We really didn't know what impact it would have on the seafood industry at that time, but sustainability was important from an ag perspective. We were heavily involved in uh, setting standards for meat and meat production at the time. And so seafood was certainly uh, a natural evolution for us to become uh, the most influential and most sustainable supermarket at the time. We were doing something that no one else was doing. It was really risky. If you look back at the time, the first two items certified by the Marine Stewardship Council were a Thames River herring and a Western Australia rock lobster tail. We were already selling Western Australian rock lobster tails. They were $29.99 each at retail. And at the time, because of the MSC certification and all of the costs associated Overnight, our cost went up to $45 each. And that was a a really risky move for us. We had a lot of explaining to do. Luckily, we had the right venue to be able to engage with our customers and talk to them, educate them about why it was important to look for fish with the MSC logo, about why we thought sustainability and the future of healthy oceans was critical and they agreed and and luckily we got a lot of traction but it was really risky and i think you know being the first at something uh either pays off big or or it can it can really hurt and and we were fortunate at the time we did it right sustainability is a multi-dimensional concept often given exclusively to the environmental cause when sustainability is underpinned by the commercial vision of an operator the imperative can become far more compelling. I left Whole Foods and went to another supermarket called HEB Grocery. They're the largest grocer in Texas and Northern Mexico. It uh, is more of what I would call a conventional grocer, but still had a lot of the same culture and core values that Whole Foods had. And so that was a, a really formative time in my career. Uh, I had uh, a long time associate and mentor of mine, Howard Johnson, come into my office at HEB. And he said to me, I'm working for a new startup NGO called Sustainable Fisheries Partnership. And I'd like you to come with me to the Gulf of Mexico. You're the largest shrimp buyer And what I'd like you to do is talk to the shrimp fishermen and ask them to put better bycatch reduction devices and turtle exclusion devices on their vessels 
and in return we will fund um, fuel monitoring devices that they can then uh, reduce the fuel that they are using and reduce the cost of their fishing trips and it seemed so foreign to me at the time but I told him I would go with him and we went and talked to the fleets in Palacios, Texas and they all changed their gear and, and I was uh, just amazed at how much impact uh, a, a conversation could have and it motivated me enough to join Sustainable Fisheries Partnership and go into the NGO world. The concept of NGOs providing genuine commercial stewardship include environmental, social, advocacy and human rights work. They can work to promote social or political change on a broad scale or very locally. However, when they are working hand in hand with industry, their effectiveness in delivering change for good can become really powerful. Sustainable Fisheries Partnership was uh, a, lot of, a lot of fun when we did great work. We went from having 11 corporate partnerships when I joined to 45 partnerships six years later. We helped those companies develop procurement policies that really drove how they uh, sourced their seafood when it came to sustainability and ocean conservation. And we made really big changes in the way that big companies from Walmart to Tesco to Highliner and others bought their fish. And, and so that was, I'm really proud of my time there. When I left, I went and took over as CEO of a new NGO called Ocean Outcomes. And Ocean Outcomes worked primarily in Northeast Asia, working on fishery improvement projects. So what we did was identified what was keeping a fishery from performing at its optimal level. A lot of times that would be environmental, but sometimes there were both social or economic challenges that the fishery was having. We would develop uh, a, um, a plan to improve all of the things that were keeping that fishery from that high level of performance. We'd bring in all the stakeholders that needed to be part of the implementation of a, 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 a plan, and then we would launch that plan and get the fishery to the point where, if they so choose, uh, became certified by the Marine Stewardship Council. As a concept, sustainable aquaculture has evolved and grown along the growing evidence that some wild fisheries are being overexploited. The negative environmental impact of conventional aquaculture has also motivated those concerned with the ocean fisheries and food production to develop a comprehensive definition and a set of practitioner guidelines for sustainable aquaculture. Having been in the seafood industry for 36 years, I think I've always felt defensive and reactive. We've never really been able to go out and tout the great things that seafood uh, production and consumption do for the world. And I think one of the major changes that I've seen over the past decade uh, have been both that how many wild capture fisheries have become deemed sustainable by the Marine Stewardship Council, and then also the transformation of the aquaculture 
conversation from one that used to be really anti-aquaculture, looking at some early missteps of the sector and really putting an undue lens on them to having NGOs and a lot of chefs and others who were anti-aquaculture now being some of the biggest cheerleaders. By any measure, aquaculture is a far more efficient and sustainable means of producing protein than land-based agriculture. Importantly though, the best aquaculture is conducted with sensitivity to the environment, including ideally farming a species which is endemic to the waters and using farming methods which ensure there is minimal impact on other species or the environment. Blue Ocean Mariculture grows Cereola rivoliana. It's a member of the Amberjack family. We call ours Kanpachi, and, uh, which is what the Japanese call it. And we grow that here off the coast of Kona, Hawaii. It's an amazing organization founded in 2001 by a gentleman named Neil Sims. Neil had the vision that in Hawaii, we could grow fish in the open ocean that would not only demonstrate that Hawaii could be self-sustaining for food as an island chain, but also that open ocean aquaculture could work in a rugged open ocean environment. We put our first fish in the water in 2004 and have been growing ever since. I was attracted to the company because it had a great ownership group. It had an amazing group of team members who were super passionate about the fish. And, uh, and because aquaculture is really where the growth of the industry that I grew up in is headed, and I wanted to be a part of that. So we have a 90-acre lease about a half mile offshore from the Kona, Hawaii coast. It doesn't seem like it's very far, but it's uh, in a high energy, high current area. The fish live in 8,000 cubic meter sea stations. We stock each one with about 150,000 fish that then take about 12 months to grow into market size. Uh, we are fully vertically integrated, meaning that we have our own brood stock, uh, larval rearing, nursery, uh, and processing, as well as our own harvest vessels and feed vessels. Growing a great fish is just part of the job for a fish farmer. Making sure the fish has a market in a form the market needs is another challenge in aquaculture. So about Half of it stay within the Hawaiian Islands and then half get shipped to the U.S. mainland. It primarily gets shipped in whole form today, although we are processing more and more fish that, uh, you know, with post-COVID, we've found that chefs are um, challenged when it comes to hiring great people. And typically where they would break down the fish themselves, they're finding it easier for us to cut it into fillets, portions, and sushi-ready uh, forms for them. And so more and more of our product is, is being shipped in a processed form. The role of aquaculture in ensuring a consistent supply of seafood for human consumption cannot be overstated. 
Whilst there are many wild capture fisheries in great recovery with strong ongoing prospects, the efficiency, consistency and sustainability of aquaculture is clearly the future. I think that um, just like the other proteins around the world uh, that have transitioned from wild harvest to farmed, that even though there will be more wild fish in the ocean, that there will be less and less wild capture fisheries that go into our food chain. And aquaculture, in my opinion, is the future of where the industry is headed. I think there'll always be amazing wild capture fish, but certainly aquaculture from a growth perspective in order to feed the growth of the planet is going to be the future of the seafood sector. Seafood is enjoying unprecedented demand in food service, with three out of four seafood meals consumed out of the home. Building retail relevance and demand requires an understanding of the customer's needs and how to encourage them to make choices which can assist in the ongoing sustainability of catcher or grower of seafood. Seafood retailing continues to evolve. Back in the 90s and 2000s, we had a motto, stack it high and let it fly. We used to jam those seafood cases full of fillets, everything from salmon to tilapia to Chilean sea bass to cod haddock and the like. And, and things are starting to change. We, we did a great job back then, but it maybe wasn't the best in terms of keeping all the fish as cold as they needed to be, uh, which maybe compromised food safety in a way. I think that retailing will continue to evolve to make it that you can see product as a customer, but you're also getting the freshest, highest quality product possible. So smaller displays, a little bit more thoughtful and calculated. Um, the variety is certainly continuing to evolve. The utilization of uh, all fish, both all parts of the fish and also new uh, species is really taking hold in retail. So it's continuing to hear what the customer has to say and what they're asking for and then delivering on that ask. I think the other thing is the uh, ability to hold and, and keep product frozen longer. So frozen sets that used to be just for fish sticks and for fish that maybe had aged a little bit, so someone froze it to see if they could sell it at the end of the day, is now given way to frozen fish, in some cases being uh, close to as good as fresh fish. And, and I think that will continue to be uh, opening doors at the retail cases. The term human capital sounds like consulting jargon but the seafood industry is a life which attracts and inspires people with passion and commitment. There is a strong correlation between seafood, which tastes great, and seafood producers who care about their people as much as the people care about the seafood they are producing. Being here at Blue Ocean Mariculture, I love my crew, and they're so passionate about growing and harvesting the fish. They really think of them in a lot of ways 
not necessarily as their pets, but certainly they have such a vested interest in ensuring their health and well-being and that the company continues to thrive, uh, that that really excites me and gets me here early every single day. The team here says that, you know, if we could just grow the fish and and not sell them and still have money to keep growing fish, that that's what they do because they they love it so much. So, you know, it, when you're around those kinds of people that are passionate and, and infectious about talking about what they do and loving what they do, it can't do anything else but motivate you to be here by their side. Dick Jones is a visionary, a leader, and a beacon of excellence in the world of sustainable seafood. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.